The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, welcome to the show, everyone. And here we are, still celebrating ADA Month. As you all know, July 26th was the 23rd signing of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And every July, the entire month, we have guests on that either were there when the ADA was signed or are working feverishly to continue improving or keeping it going. And, wow, we have quite a duo today. We have Bobby Silverstein from Powers, Powell's, Sutter, and Verville, and guess who? Senator Tom Harkin, who will be joining us in about 25 minutes. And these two are a dynamic duo. So, Bobby, welcome to the show. My pleasure. This is the second or third time I've been on the show, and it's always wonderful. Well, it's wonderful to have you. So, Bobby, for our listeners, how about if you start by telling everyone your role or your involvement with Senator Harkin? Well, um, I had the privilege and opportunity to be Senator Harkin's staff director and chief counsel when he was chair of the Subcommittee on Disability Policy, which is part of the Committee on Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. And um, before I explain a little bit more about what that role entailed, um, Joyce, would you mind if I started by sharing with folks who may not know Senator Harkin directly what a true American hero he is and why I use those words and I don't use them lightly? Would that be okay? Go right ahead. Um, My definition of a hero is somebody who risks everything, not for himself, but for the betterment of society. And I believe that uh, Senator Harkin fits that definition with a T. Let me share with you a story. When I was, when we were working on the ADA at the beginning and before the bill was introduced, there was a, Senator Harkin had a full staff meeting with all of his staff. And one of the persons who had been working with him for quite a while had basically stood up and said, Senator, no senator, you're up for re-election. No senator in Iowa who's a Democrat had ever won re-election in the history of the state. So with respect to this ADA, be very careful. Be very concerned about what you say because we have to be careful not to jeopardize your re-election. Senator Harkin turned red and basically looked at him and said, almost screaming, I did not get elected to get reelected. I have a brother who is deaf. I understand discrimination firsthand, and we will do 
whatever is necessary to pass the strongest possible bill. And I am not going to worry about politics, and I do not want to hear that um, message ever again. Wow. Wow. And so, again, when I say it was a privilege and opportunity to work with Senator Harkin as his staff director, I truly mean it. Mean it. My role, if just in, in brief, um, based on conversations with Senator Harkin, my first role was to keep the disability community together. My second role was to keep the disability community together. And my third role was to keep the disability community together because we knew that the only way you could mass pass major public policy legislation for people with disabilities if we stuck together as a community. And my role was basically to listen to the disability community, share um, their vision, their, their concerns, their issues with Senator Harkin, and then have Senator Harkin lead the way, setting up his direction, his mission, his vision, um, and help him implement it through working with staff and, and coordinating with the community. That was a big job, Bobby, the keeping the disability community together. That was a really hard job. So how did you do that? Well, um, uh when when the when Senator Harkin sends a message from on top that if we're going to do something, this is the way we're going to do it, and when people uh, don't get that message um, initially, but he persists, then eventually people come around. Let me give you another quick story. The first bill I worked on for Senator Harkin was the Reauthorization of the Developmental Disabilities and Bill of Rights Act. And the group called CCD, the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities, the coalition of groups, sent in a 25-page set of recommendations. The first 15 pages were the majority opinion. The the last um, 10 pages were the minority opinion. And I said, Senator Harkin has told me that we are keeping the community together. So if you want to do the DD Act, reauthorization, you all come together. You want me to help? I'll be glad to. But there will be one set of recommendations, or there will be no reauthorization. And lo and behold, we came back with consensus legislation recommendations that were easily translated into public policy. So uh, the same thing happened with the ADA. The groups um, met once a week with the general Pat Wright in charge. Um, They met at a local church. They closed the door. They beat the crap out of each other for two or three hours, and they opened the door, um, and they opened the door with a single voice, um, and that's in part the the cohesiveness of the strength of the disability community won out in large part because we stayed together. Oh, that is absolutely key. And you know what? We have a listener on the phone right now. Uh, Mark, are you on the line? I'm here. Okay. Go ahead, Mark Periello, CEO of AAPD. Hey, um, Bobby. How are you doing I'm today? I'm doing great. Thanks. Nice. Hey, I wanted to um, just ask um, if you could share your thoughts on where we are with Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act. 
Um, I know it's something very important to you um, and to a lot of listeners out, listeners out there. Um, and from my perspective at AAPD, right, it is something that we are working very hard to see, um, you know, get implemented. Um, and I would love to just get a sense from you of where things are. Sure. Um, for those who are not familiar, Section 503 of the Rehabilitation Act says that no government contractor can discriminate on the basis of disabilities. And furthermore, government contractors must take affirmative action to hire, uh, retain, and promote people with disabilities. Now, for women and minorities under something called Executive Order 11246, we've had affirmative action that included goals and timetables forever. And Executive Order 11246 has made a tremendous difference in the employment of women and minorities. But people with disabilities never had these goals. Um, The proposed regs include goals, which is absolutely critical. We now have information that uh, the data to allow um, businesses and others to comply. Um, And my understanding is um, not based on any inside information, but based on the Department of Labor's agenda, regulatory agenda, that they fully expect us to have final regs soon. Now, you're going to say, Mark, what is soon? And um, that is above my grade level. But, uh, I don't know what, if anything is above your pay grade level. But, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. but the hope is that it will be soon and we will have those goals, and I think that will be probably, um, uh, in addition to the ADA, the most important regulation that will come out to enhance employment opportunities for people with disabilities. And that sounds like a rhetorical statement, but I don't make it lightly. Do you have people have any idea how many government contractors there are and how many people there are that are employed by government contractors? It is a incredibly significant number. 22% of the American workforce, yep. actually. Yeah. Uh, um, and so can I ask a quick follow-up question, Joyce? Yes, go right ahead. Um, you know, what can employers be doing now, um, in your opinion, to really set themselves up for success um, when mm-hmm. these regulations roll out? Well, um, for the first thing I would suggest is you go to uh, an employer, work with USBLN and, and AAPD and National Organization on Disability and others that have a specific programs working with um, with employers, companies. But the other thing I would suggest is to go to the Office of Disability Employment Policy website, which has a number of of documents that provide 200 of the best practices that uh, employers, companies around the country are using. And so you have, if you, uh, if you need resources or an idea of what's possible, that ODEP website is just terrific in terms of providing best promising and emerging practices. Yeah, I have a question, Bobby. I, too, believe this is going to happen. Actually, I believe it's going to happen in the next few months. But my question... Uh Aha, you got inside information. No, I don't. No, I do not. (laughs) I'm taking a... a, That's a hopeful... That's a hopeful guess. I hope I'm right. But what I was going to say, even knowing that at some point in time, 
whether it's three months, six months, whatever it is, even knowing that it's coming, would you please tell me why companies are not beating down the door saying, hey, we need people with disabilities, send us people with disabilities. Why do you think that is? Um, I, I, I don't know why not, um, but I do know that more and more companies are uh, working with the joy spenders of the world and getting people uh, referred to them and learning of the positive experiences. Uh, I always kind of, um, I'm an optimist. I look at everything uh, in a positive way and I see more and more companies doing it. And I hope that uh, the 503 will be that little kick in the butt to help uh, them pay more attention and learn from what their colleagues are doing and the positive outcomes. I hope so. But, you know, Senator Harkin told how we're going backwards in employment. And you would just think, though, I don't know, maybe they think it's really not going to happen. I have no idea. What do you think, Mark? You know, I think that um, it's just one of those things, right, that with everything going on, right, um, in 9 to 5 in corporate America, that, right, they aren't going to focus on it until they absolutely know that they have to. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably right. Well, hey, Mark, thank you for calling in. No, it was my pleasure, um, and thank you both. Um, Talk to you soon. You take care. You too. Bye. Hey, uh, Bobby, I have heard you tell this story before, which I find just so riveting, and it's about the day that Senator Harkin gave his testimony on the Senate floor with sign language. Could you talk about that for a minute? Sure. Um, uh, In terms of Government 101, people will remember that each House of Congress has to pass uh, a, a bill. So you had the ADA pass the Senate then it passed the House, then it goes into a conference, and then they have to agree and write an identical bill. And then it has to go back to each House. So on July 13, 1990, when the Senate was dealing with the conference report, and Senator Harkin was the sponsor and therefore the floor manager of the ADA, he did something that has never been done in the history of the United States of America, and maybe anywhere in any legislature in the whole world, which is he debated without using his voice. He debated um, using American Sign Language. And um, when this happened, um, you could just hear everybody who happened to be on the floor was mesmerized. And the way the Senate works is that there's a television um, uh, broadcast of what the Senate proceedings. So in every um, office in the United States Senate, um, the three office buildings, you were watching this. And what happened was you had senators all of a sudden coming down to the floor of the United States Senate, leaving their offices to see this history. And it was an incredibly special time. And what Tom was doing is was he was sending a message to his brother that disability does not mean inability, that this was a statement of empowerment for people with disabilities and that um, people need to pay attention to the fact that the world is changing. Wow. 
I mean, that is so powerful. And that for those of you so who are interested, and Joyce, for those of you who are interested in actually seeing this, it's on Senator Hark. If you go to thomas.gov, um, T-H-O-M-A-S dot gov, and then you click on Senate, and then you click on Committee, and then you click on uh, Health, Education, Labor, Pensions Committee, you can actually now see that um, video of, of Senator Harkin's debate using American Sign Language. Everybody can see it just by uh, clicking onto the web. Oh, I've got to get that on my website. Yep. Because I want to tell you what, you know, really, if you're listening to the show right now, you have to know that is history. That is history. And I, I sort of think, Bobby, you're right that I don't know of it being done anywhere, anywhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, I just think that is, as you said, if a senator, an elected senator, can give testimony or an argument in sign language, surely you can be hired to be IT, accounting, whatever it is, if you're deaf. And that was a huge statement. I think, Bobby, that was in uh, at the Smithsonian. It was. I, it was indeed. Yeah, I think that I, I also saw it there, and I was just so impressed. Well, Bobby, let's talk about that day, because Senator Harkin obviously was the one behind this. Um, I'm talking about this south lawn of the White House, which I surely wish I could have been there, but I wasn't uh, as involved yet. When President Bush signed the Americans with Disabilities Act, what was that day like for you? Well, uh, Joyce, you'll be probably a little surprised at my answer to that question. Um, looking not towards the stage, but looking on the south lawn, it was a absolutely phenomenal experience for people with disabilities, for families, for advocates. It was a very, very, very special day. For me, personally, um, it was an interesting day because, I don't know, July 13th was the day that made the world different for me being watching Senator Harkin. Um, uh, in terms of debating using sign language and otherwise uh, leading uh, the debate that day i don't know i don't know if i was tired exhausted if the adrenaline had already left me um, it was wonderful but that was not the most special day for me um, it is every year after but i was i don't know it was it was the day with senator harkin seeing him do that. And I'll bet he's going to be happy to hear you say that because I believe Senator Harkin is on the line with us right now. Hello, this is Tom. Senator Harkin, how are you? Oh, hello, Joyce Bender. How are you? I'm delighted to hear your voice. Thanks for having me with you. Oh, well, I am just so delighted to hear your voice, Senator Harkin, because we all love you so much. So I'm going to tell you this first. We're going to filibuster you that you cannot resign. You cannot retire. <laughs> well, We're going to all come and protest. We're going to all protest at your office. I, I appreciate the sentiment, but uh, I'm retiring from the Senate, but I'm not retiring from the battle for 
keeping uh, keeping our country moving towards full inclusion for everyone. I know that's true. For those of you listening, I know you all know Senator Tom Harkin, but let me tell you, there has not been a day, there's not been a time that he has not been there for us, fighting for us, and he still is fighting for us right now today. And, Senator, we have Bobby Silverstein on with you. Well, Bobby is uh, is, is uh, perhaps one of the most unsung heroes of the whole ADA movement back in the 80s and early and 90s. Uh, uh, Bobby was the person who put it all together and and gave me all my right talking points so I'd say the right thing and do the right thing. So, Bobby, hi. Hi, hi Tom. Um, Senator Harkin, I was just asking him. I'm going to ask <laughs> you now. That day on the south lawn of the White House, when this was signed by the president, what was that day like for you? Well, a day like no other. Uh, it was uh, just, uh, what can I say, a feeling of uh, so just relief, exuberance. I mean, you know, it was the largest gathering of people uh, for a bill signing ever. Uh, a beautiful sunshine day, uh, and seeing so many families there, uh, people from all walks of life, all types of different disabilities. Uh, it was just a culmination of a long, hard, many years of work by so many people uh, to bring us to that point. And what was so nice to see was that there were people there from both political parties, high, low, in between. Uh, it really was one of the finest expressions of American democracy at work. Well, you were behind all of that, Senator Harkin. So, you know, just think how you helped change the world. Well, I, I, you know, again, I think I get too much credit. There's so many people involved in that, so many that work so hard. I think of Justin Dart. Oh gosh, Ed Roberts. I think of uh, of even people like Lowell Weicker, who was a former senator, but who wasn't there at that time. He was defeated before we could ever get the bill passed. Um, you know, just uh, just so many people that uh, had worked for so many years uh, to get us there. Yes, it's my name on the bill. Yes, I am the sponsor of it, but. I uh, I literally stood on the shoulders of literally hundreds and thousands of people who had worked for so many years to bring about the Americans with Disabilities Act. Well, you are a wonderful, 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 wonderful man, Senator Harkin. But as we celebrate now all these 23 years of civil rights, thanks to your work, we have many other things going on. And I saw that earlier this month, you issued a report on the state of enforcement of the Supreme Court's Olmstead decision. And you specifically called for changes in the ADA and in the federal approach to enforcing and implementing the ADA's integration mandate. So, Senator, why do you think we still have so many space states that are spending most of their money on long-term care in nursing homes and institutional settings, and what do we do to change that? 
Well, Joyce, uh, you're right. It's one of the uh, sad holdovers from the old days, and that is putting money into in, to, to, for people to be institutionalized. Now, again, we've been working hard to to change that. As you know, what was it? Uh, the Olmstead decision was what, Bobby? Thirteen years ago? Fourteen. Uh, years ago. Nine. Was 19, 1999. 1999. Huh? Now, I, I don't know the math. <laughs> so 14 years. 14. <laughs> and uh, and yet we still have more than 200,000 working-age Americans, many in their late teens and 20s, trapped in nursing homes or other institutions, separated from their families and communities, against their wishes, uh, that's that's what my uh, Joyce, you mentioned this study I had done, and that's that's what that study showed. Um, that we just recently put out of our committee. Again, as, as you say, it, it, it's a shameful holdover from the worst practices of the past. Um, Medicaid. Uh, see, we've got to change the Medicaid bias. Uh, when the Supreme Court made its decision in 1999, they envisioned that states would make a community-based and home-based uh, uh, care possible by using Medicaid funds to do that. Now, the report that we just issued out of my committee found that only 12 states, only 12 states, uh, devote more than half of their Medicaid long-term care dollars to home and community-based services. And the number of working-age adults in nursing homes has actually increased over the last five years. No. It's just shameful. Now, you, know, you say, why is this happening? Well, I, I've asked that question many times, and I think the harsh reality is that many states fail to approach uh, home and community-based living as a civil right rather than as a social welfare issue. So they look upon it still as a social welfare issue. It's not. It's a civil rights issue. And because they look upon it as a social welfare issue, they're slow to take advantage of new programs. You know, in, in the Affordable Care Act, the, the Obamacare, people call it that, we have a program that provides more federal dollars to a state if they deinstitutionalize people and provide for home and community-based settings. It's, a, it's 6%. They get 6% more if they will do that. And, and what we have found, we have over 38 studies that show that providing services for people with disabilities in home or community-based settings is more cost-effective than providing it in an institution. And yet, in the face of all that, states still institutionalize people. You know, again, it's just it's inertia on some things. I think it's uh, built-in structures uh, that they have. It's the lobby of the nursing homes, very powerful lobby that they have in states. So it's all those things to get, get together. But I, I tell you, it, we, we can't let this go on. I mean, we have to implement the Olmstead decision. And we have to do it soon. Yes, it has been. It, it is amazing that people do not realize 
that there are young people with disabilities in these nursing homes. They don't realize that the Olmstead Act really is not being enforced. So I'm really behind you. We're all behind you, Senator. I'm really, really glad that you're doing that. You've been working on a lot of things. I know you've been working hard with Governor Markell and Representative Kathy McMorris-Rogers to improve employment for people with disabilities, which that is what it's all out. You know, that's what it's about. Without employment, you can't really be free or do anything in this country. But I see that your committee is about to mark up the Workforce Investment Act, which actually includes VR. Now, my question is, why is that reauthorization important, and what are some of your biggest priorities? Well, Joyce, I'm glad you mentioned that because, uh, and I'll have more to come back again on the issue that we just discussed about uh, states getting people into home community-based settings. But in regards to the WIA bill, that's what we call it, the Workforce Investment Act. We call it WIA. Um, the, what we're trying to do is to change the policies so that young people with disabilities when they're in high school, get the supports and the training, the mentoring, the transition-type services, so that they themselves begin to think of themselves as working in competitive, integrated employment. And to set up a system so that... so that... Uh, that's the first option. Those are the first places where young people with disabilities have to go, and that is they have to go into competitive employment, not not this sub-minimum wage stuff anymore. So what we're doing in the Workforce Investment Act is we're requiring state uh, voc rehab agencies uh, in, and to work with the local education agencies to make pre-employment transition services available to all students with disabilities. Now, now what that means is 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 getting them into um, tra- uh, um, what am I thinking of uh, internships? Internships like in the summer, where they can try their skills out at one job or another where they get uh, some coaching, mentoring, um, job shadowing, where they'll follow people around to see how they do their, do their work. Uh, this should be a, a, a full-throated, if I can use that word, full-throated approach to kids with disabilities in high school. In other words, requiring the VR agencies to do this. They aren't doing it now, but we're going to require them to do that for all students with disabilities or in high school, then we're going to require, actually require individuals under the age of 24 with a significant disability as they come out of school to make a serious attempt at commit at competitive integrated employment. Uh, of course, they will get transition services, they'll get VR services, but before a person with a disability can be considered for working at a segregated workshop or sheltered employment setting. They have to have a couple or three uh, 
opportunities to see what they can do in competitive employment. It's not enough just to do it once. I mean, let's you know, let's face it. Um, a person might get into a job, but they're not really suited for it, or they don't like it. That doesn't mean they're not capable of doing some other work in competitive, integrated employment. So I want to make sure it's not just a one-shot deal, but where they're given some different opportunities to test their skills out and what they like to do. Joyce, uh, um, there's a, a legal term to describe this provision. It's called kick in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I forgot that term from my law school, Bobby. Oh, you. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is. I mean, Bobby's absolutely right. You know, uh, Joyce, I've said many times that young people are the same all around, all over, whether they're disabled or not. <coughs> Sometimes no, they just and, need... and they want to work, and they want to be given direction, just as you're saying. That's right. Sometimes they just need to be given a little kick in the rear end to get going, too. So that's what that's what we're working on in the Workforce Investment Act uh, is to change this whole system. Um, and like I said, it, it can't be a thing where someone tries once and then they say, "Well, you can't do that," so therefore we're going to put you in sheltered employment. I mean, you know, I didn't start my life out being a senator. I had a number of different jobs. <laughs> You know, we all change as we grow older and what we think we can do or what we think we're capable of doing. Uh, and the same is true of kids with disabilities. They may think they want to do one thing. They may try that. They may find that they don't like it or they're not qualified for it. Well, maybe there's something else they can do that uh, they maybe they may. A lot of times... It's like anybody. I mean, I'm not even signaling people out with disabilities. Any young person, a lot of times, they'll try one thing. They think they want to do something, but they find out there's something else they're better suited for. That's not a failure. The people always said to me, oh, you're setting these poor kids up for failure. I said, no, I'm not. I'm setting them up. I'm setting them up to advance whatever skill set they have to the maximum so that they can find out what it is they like to do and what they want to do. Um, so that's, Joyce, that's what we're trying to do with, with, the, uh, with the Workforce Investment Act. Well, that is awesome. Because just as you said, Senator Harkin, there are many high school students without disabilities that say they want to do one thing until they find out what all is involved in doing that one thing and change their mind. So, you know, I don't see that that different, just as you said. And I remember you mentioned, Senator Harkin, was there something else you wanted to say about the Olmstead Act? Oh, yeah, I just forgot to mention, we were talking about the Olmstead Act, and there are some things, I think, also that we have to do. We issued our findings and our studies, but I never got to what we're kind of recommending. We're recommending that, that, that Congress should clarify that every individual who is eligible for long-term services and supports under Medicaid has a federally protected right to choose how they receive services and supports so that there's no Medicaid bias in going into nursing home. And we should amend the Medicaid statute to end that. 
to require that every state that participates in Medicaid has to pay for home and community-based services if that's what the person wants. Um, the other thing is uh, the state and federal efforts should focus on helping people live in their own homes. Again, virtually all people with disabilities can live in their own apartment or house with adequate supports. And so there ought to be services there to help them do that. Uh, I, I often think of my nephew, who is a, a severe paraplegic. He's been using a wheelchair, oh gosh, for almost 40 years now. I think about it, 30, almost 40 years. Lives by himself in his own home, has worked all his life. But he has a nurse come in in the morning, gets him ready for the day. And then he goes off to work. And then he comes back at night. He has a nurse getting ready for bed. That's really all the services he needs. But without those two, he would never have been able to work during his lifetime. That's what I mean. It's, 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 it, sometimes it takes just a minor amount, sometimes more. But if that enables a person to live in their own home, uh, and to be able to seek and get a job, it seems to me that, as I said, as we, our report pointed out, that's, that's more than justified economically, uh, let alone in terms of just quality of life. So that's what we're trying to do with, you know, to change that, that bias in Medicaid and also to uh, make sure states use the community first choice option that we put in the Affordable Care Act so they can get that 6% bump up in, uh, in uh, getting people uh, out of institutions and into integrated uh, into home and community-based uh, living. So I just wanted to add those things. Hey, Bobby, what do you think about this? I think uh, there's another legal term to describe what Senator Harkin ref uh, just referred to, and that's a codification of common sense. <laughs> I love these things, Bobby. You know, I mean, Bobby has all these great things. He knows how to put. He knows how to say it concisely. <laughs> well, Why would we not provide choice and opportunity for people to uh, to live and work and play and pray um, with their peers uh, to be able to be with their family? Mm -hmm. Choice and opportunity is about as American as you get. Yes. And we all have to speak up about that, everyone, all of you listeners. We all need to get behind Senator Harkin on so many of these issues no. he's talked about. Um, but, but here's one. Here's one that's really big. You know, Senator mm -hmm. Harkin, I was there the day that uh, Senator Dole was on the floor of the Senate when we were trying to get the passage of the U.N. Convention on Rights of Persons with Disabilities. And I must say I was shocked. I was shocked and angry um, that, uh, of what happened. So I wanted to ask you if you could give us an update on your efforts to try to get this ratified and what all of the listeners can do to help you. 
Well, Joyce, uh, listen, and thanks for bringing that up. And uh, I know, I knew you were here. I saw you here when we were doing that thing for Senator Dole before that vote came yes, up. Yes, yes. You know what was really shocking, Joyce, is we went over, you were over there, I saw you there in the, I think we were in the Dirksen building, I mm-hmm. think. And all those people there, and we're all saying nice things about Senator Dole. He got this nice award from the disability community. Then we all, and... And a lot of senators showed up there, you know, raising Bob Dole and being there. So we all go over to this floor. Bob Dole goes over on the floor and uh, is there, and then he With leaves. his wife. Pardon? With Elizabeth. With Elizabeth, with his wife. And then he's there, and all the senators come in, and then, of course, he left when we started, when the vote started. And the very piece, all of the people that came over to pay tribute to Bob Dole in the Dirksen building, later went over on the floor and then voted against him. He was there to tell us, vote for the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, and even the two senators from his home state voted against it. I'm like you, Joyce. I was shocked. I thought we had the vote. I I couldn't believe it. And uh, so I looked very carefully at what happened, and I talked to a lot of Republican senators. Uh, I think there were at least three things at work. One, former Senator uh, Rick Santorum got on his high horse on this and started talking about how this was going to keep people from homeschooling their kids. And this just created an uproar. And, but there was, there's nothing in the treaty about that. I mean, he just made that up. But he got the whole homeschool community up in arms. And I'll tell you, they got organized. In my own office, in my office, the calls were 50 to 1 against, oh. against the treaty. Oh, my. Because that crowd out there organized. So that was one thing. The second thing was uh, a lot of my friends on the Republican side said we should not be voting uh, to approve a treaty during a lame duck session of Congress. Well, fact is we had approved a lot of treaties in the past during a lame duck session of Congress, but I would give them the benefit of the doubt on that. If they said they had strong feelings about it, okay, fine, I, I, I can accept that. Now, the third thing working against us is there is a small group of senators, uh, or members of the House, who would just as soon the U.N. disappear, the United Nations disappear. They would just as soon us get out of the United Nations. They don't like it. They don't want us to be involved in it. And they're going to vote against anything having to do with the United Nations. Now, fortunately, that is a very small group. So, uh, right now... This disability treaty, as you know, Joyce, I think we have about 129 countries have already signed on to it. Here we are, the world's leader in disability rights, and we're not a party to it. And here it is. It's supported by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, every veterans group, the entire faith-based community, all of the disability groups, And so it's supported by businesses, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, every veterans group, all the churches, and yet 
we can't get the 67 votes to ratify it. Well, it went down. That was last December. Uh, John Kerry was the chair. He's now the Secretary of State. Uh, we had a phone call with Secretary of State John Kerry just about oh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Bob Menendez, who is now the chair of the Foreign Relations Committee, and me. Um, yeah, Dick Durbin, Senator Durbin, some others. Anyway, talking about the path forward. I want to reassure you and the entire disability community, we are leaving no stone unturned. We are going to every senator. I'm personally doing this. Other senators are to find the seven votes that we need. Uh, that's what we need. We need seven votes. We had 60. We need 67 votes. So I think, you know, those senators who said that, well, it was because of a lame duck session, well, they don't have that excuse any longer. I think we've proven that there's nothing in it uh, that does anything to disturb homeschooling whatsoever. Now, for those senators who are just adamantly opposed to the United Nations, nothing you can do about them. But as I said, that's just a very small, small group. All in all, here's what we're going to do, Joyce, is that we're going to bring this up sometime this fall when we have 67 votes. And I think, I hope it's going to be sometime maybe late September, maybe October, maybe November, but sometime this fall we're going to get it, bring it back. Now, you ask what we could do. Well, as I said, the calls that came into my office were 50 to 1 against the treaty. What we need is we need the disability community, their friends, their families, everyone who's listening to your wonderful show, to start making calls into senators' offices, letting them know how important this is, how important it is to people with disabilities who just want to travel overseas. Why? Why should someone who, say, is disabled, why should they be denied the opportunity to go with their friends, their family, their loved ones, a spouse, to go overseas because there's uh, not accessibility? And other countries want us to join on this treaty to help them change their laws and to change their infrastructure. So we need, uh, we need to flood the switchboards in here. Uh, not in August. We're all leaving here at the end of this week, Joyce. Congress is out for the entire month of August. I think we come back on September 9th. So after we come back on September 9th, Joyce, we need you. You know how you do a wonderful job of reaching the disability community throughout America. We need you, and I'll be glad to come on board anytime you ask me. Uh, we need to get calls in, and we need to flood these switchboards in here uh, with calls to saying, you know, urging senators to approve this treaty. Well, you know, Senator Harkin, I am going to take that challenge, and I am going to ask all of you listening to the show today, this is so important that you let your voice be heard. You know, when Senator Harkin said that's not true about, you know, the homeschooling or changing laws, Governor Dick Thornburg, former Attorney General, 
testified saying, I've read this through and through. There are no changes, nothing to the law, nothing about any of this. So, you know, you really need to get behind this. And Senator Harkin, when this happened, I put on the social media, I have three words for the senators that voted this down. Shame on you. Well, and how I'll about, say it right uh, now. Uh, Shame on you. We, but we can't make them know that unless we make those calls, because what the senator said is terrible, that it was 50 to 1. I know. It's really awful. Hey, I might, uh, uh, just a mild suggestion. Shame on you. That's fine. I need three more votes. Uh, three more words. Change your vote. Yeah, okay. Well, we're going to take that new message, change your vote. Yeah, that's good, Senator Harkin. Change your vote. That should be everyone's mantra. Change your vote. You've got to make those calls. You have to. Senator, isn't it true that even a few people, when they're making those calls, it makes a difference? Oh, there's no doubt about it. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, senators, who said, oh, my gosh, we just got flooded, my emails, my phones, everybody was against passage of this. So, and a lot of them, there, there were some who talked to me about this and said, you know, can't you just cool this down for a while and maybe we can bring it up when there's no lame duck session. Well, okay, there's no excuse now. We're not in a lame duck session. So, so hopefully we can pick those people up. Uh, and uh, and uh, we just we just got to work hard. We just gotta we just gotta really really work hard on this. And Senator Harkin, I must say again, I, I I have to say this again. When you said you were retiring, that really killed me, because you know we don't have a lot of people here in the government that is going to stand up for us the way you did. I mean, you're like beyond what people would, you know, it's not that you just give a little speech here and there. I mean, you are passionate about this. And if I knew how to talk you in to staying until you were 90, I would. <laughs> well, Joyce, uh, you're so kind, but, you know, I, I it's time for me to move on. There are... There will be others who here that will take this up uh, and 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 work with it. Uh, we got a whole just as we have a new ADA generation of young people out there who have come of age who aren't going to take a back seat any longer because of their disability, who are going to demand their rightful place in the workplace and the uh, social environment and the uh, and uh, communications and everything. Uh, we got a new generation of some people coming into government too. Uh, some some will come in. I hope people will with disabilities will run for office, and we'll have more people with disabilities in elected office. And and those that who are coming in, I think many times grew up uh, alongside their playmates and their friends and others who had disabilities because they were integrated into schools into their churches, into their social groups. And um, it's a lot different atmosphere than when I was growing up and everyone was segregated. You know, people with disabilities were just segregated out. Now there's more and more integration. So I have a lot of faith that in the future we're going to find more people here in the Senate and the House who are sensitive 
to these issues and who understand uh, that uh, uh, this new uh, regime that we have, this new system of making sure everyone is welcome and everyone is is fully integrated into all aspects of our society. So I remain hopeful, but I, I, I assure you, Joyce, I'm, as I said, I'm retiring from the Senate, but this is one of the causes of my life, and I'm going to be involved uh, in, this, in this effort, uh, both here and around the world, uh, uh, fighting for the rights of people with disabilities. So maybe I'll give you my resume when I get out of here. <laughs> Okay, uh, you can. Uh, I'm going to make sure I have you. We're going to keep. We're going to keep you. We're going to keep you, Senator Harkin. We're going to keep you, no matter what you're doing. We need you. And Bobby, I really appreciate you being on the show with us today. Well, my pleasure, absolutely. And to again to hear Senator Harkin uh, share his uh, thoughts and feelings is just wonderful. Again. Uh, He's a very special person, and I couldn't agree more with all of what you said, Joyce, about uh, Tom. And we'll miss him, but uh, he's not going anywhere. He'll still be there fighting. I know he will. And, Senator, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, you know what? I I want to just say one last thing. Of course, Bobby and I have been a great team for all these years. I love Bobby. He's just wonderful. And and uh, he's always been my go-to person to let me know what I should do and how I should do it. So, and that's going to continue. And Joyce, you, you, you get the message out there. You enlighten people. And, and I, I hope your listeners know that um, Bender Consulting Services has put more people with disabilities in jobs than just about anybody else I can imagine in this country. And so you, you have been you have been a spirit carrier on this for so many years, and I just thank you so much for that. Well, thank you so much, Senator Harkin. We do love you, and I end every show with a quote from a famous civil rights leader that has impacted history in America for people with disabilities, and today that quote is, it is time, it is time to make it possible for more Americans with disabilities to experience the dignity that comes with a paycheck, said Senator Tom Hart. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you, Joyce. Love you, too. Love you, too. Hey, everyone, lead on. And remember, change your vote. Remember that. Talk to you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.